You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, we got Johnny Wolf on the call. Johnny, I really appreciate your time. And Johnny is the CEO and founder of Homeroom Co-Living. And you can uh, definitely check out the website at livehomeroom.com or livehomeroom.com. I'm just one of the two. Either way, it works fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled the same way, right? Yes. So outside of that, where else would they find you, uh, Johnny? Yeah, um, you can email me, johnny at livehomeroom.com at any time. Uh, happy to talk investments. We do, you know, we do f- free calls with people who are looking to discuss real estate investing, passive options, and co-living is our specialty. So if you're doing rent by the room, that's what we love to talk to folks about and um, happy to connect with anyone interested in that approach. Yeah. So the co-living thing is kind of an interesting niche. Um, how did you manage to get into this? Um, you know, it's, I think a lot of folks start, um, you know, maybe you started this podcast or a lot of people start companies to solve their own problem when there isn't a good solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was in Silicon Valley living with roommates after college for five to five years. Then I moved to Austin, Texas and did real estate investing. Um, and I rented out by the room because I couldn't get enough for rent because Austin prices were so crazy. And then I moved to Kansas City and I did the same thing. And, you know, what I found is that there's some key things to make a roommate house fun and healthy to live in and that finding roommates on Craigslist is awful. So that's sort of why, you know, homeroom was born in, in hopes that I wouldn't have to do that anymore. And, you know, actually the house that I live in now, homeroom finds my roommates and it's, it's great. So I, I finally achieved my dream of never having to find roommates on Craigslist again, which is very yeah, cool. Sure. Yeah. So, so just describe this platform that you have, the homeroom. You said that the homeroom finds your roommates. Yeah. So it's a double-sided marketplace on the, for the real estate investors. Um, you know, we pair real estate investors with roommate tenants. Um, it's like Airbnb, but I guess like for roommate houses and longer term. And so we help investors um, set up their property for co-living. We have some specifications, or if you don't have a property yet, we'll help you buy a property that it matches what, you know, what the ideal co-living house is, then it will be listed on our platform. And then roommate tenants can go online, see who the roommates are there currently, as well as the space, and then make a decision and then lease with us. And on average, folks stay a bit over a year with homeroom. So, you know, they, they go through a, a pretty long process figuring out which room's the right one for them and the right roommates. Um, and then they move in with us. So those are the two sides. We help the investor get more rent. We help the tenants, you know, find great roommates and save money. Sure. So, you know, you, you talked about how this is an alternative to, you know, real, for real estate investors, especially in these more difficult markets. What have you found on average, does this increase rents by in order to make this worthwhile? Yeah, we, we can actually increase rents in a, in a property by up to 70%. Oh, so, wow. Uh, yeah, it is so a pretty be, big difference. can be a pretty big difference. Each house is different. Um, and it also, it obviously depends on the number of bedrooms you have, mm-hmm. but the more bedrooms you have, the more difference it'll make. 
So but you compared it to Airbnb at one point. Are there amenities and do you typically have to furnish these out like you would an Airbnb? Yeah, very similar to an Airbnb actually. We we except we don't do bedroom furnishing. So we ask the we have the tenants furnish their bedrooms. Um, they stay for a long period of time. So most of the time they already have furniture. So it'd be almost it would be an inconvenience for those to be furnished. But the common areas and the shared kitchen and all that is Airbnb'd out, uh, just like it would be with an Airbnb. We typically we usually use a local interior designer that'll find uh, furniture on the cheap from estate sales. Oh, sure. So, uh, would you say most of your residents or tenants then are are typically students? Um, actually, the average age is twenty seven. Oh, it's it's a little older than I would have thought. Yeah, is that yeah. does that seem to depend on the market, or how does how is that driven? Um, it's, yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, this is sort of the stage that I was in and the, the, the number of folks between 18 and 34 living with roommates today is actually in the tens of millions. So there's a number of people that are living with roommates, um, in that age group. And so it's much, I think a much bigger, much longer lasting market than I think most folks uh, realize. Sure. So on the, on the tenant side, then how does your platform help the residents determine if it's a good fit. You mentioned that, that there's some tools there for them as well. Yeah. So um, the residents um, go through our process, which means, you know, the first step to, all, to any good tenant experience is making sure that you have, you know, the tenant's the right fit for us. And so we make sure they have good credit background and eviction history, criminal mm-hmm. checks, all that stuff. Uh, we do Then we do an interview with them and discuss kind of the homeroom platform, make sure it's a good fit for what they're looking for. Um, that je- and then we'll do a video call with the current roommates. Uh, during the process, they also can kind of look through and see who the current roommates are in each house, uh, see what their hobbies are, see what their jobs are, and see if that makes sense for where they want to live. And so they're able to do some pre-screening even before starting the the application process. Oh, that's interesting. So it, it, there's kind of some serious matchmaking going on there. Yeah, a little bit of matchmaking. So the the current residents then, how much say do they have in allowing that that person to be part of their little community? Uh, they have, uh, you know, I would say somewhat significant stay. Say we we have different spectrums of what they have say on, right? So we have mm-hmm. to honor fair housing a bit, or you know, we have to honor fair housing, and so. If it's someone that doesn't play video games like you like to play video games, we're usually going to say, hey, that's not really a big, we're not, we can't let you say, reject someone for that reason. But if it's someone that you don't feel safe with or comfortable with, then you can, you can say, no, that's no problem. Sure. Okay. So during this whole crazy time of the pandemic and everything else, how has these, how has this uh, fared? Like, how has that been, how has it been going? Uh, for, you know, there's been different responses to different co-living situations. Uh, homeroom did well. We were in a stage in which we were growing, but not, you know, rap- as rapidly as some other companies. So we were able to, you know, and our occupancy was uh, in the high 90s, 90, like 97% when the, mm-hmm. when the um, pandemic struck. So we were able to, you know, grow just a little slower and figure some things out about remote leasing. All of our leasing is now done 100% remote. You do a virtual tour, all that. Um, so we, we kind of had already ideated on that concept. 
Um, and, you know, I do think that most leasing will be done remotely in, you know, the not too distant future across all, all platforms, uh, all housing types. But we, we kind of were able to adapt very quickly to that. So it didn't affect us too much. We had no communal spread. We had uh, three houses that got COVID, um, but we were able to isolate that individual. And since the average age of our tenants is 27, there was we kind of got lucky in that res- respect. So we actually expanded to Dallas in September. So we were doing so well that uh, we actually decided to launch another market. So, Sure. So uh, are you specifically, your platform is specifically in certain markets or is it across the United States now? Uh, we're focused on Kansas City, Dallas, and Austin today, but we're, you know, the goal is to add markets as rapidly as we can. Sure. So when you had said that uh, you'll even help some real estate investors find properties to accomplish this, mm-hmm. uh, can you talk a little bit about that? How do you go about that? Sure. So if you're, you know, you're looking to do a passive real estate investment or even a more active one where you kind of help us find the property, we have a we have a process where we'll talk to you, identify your goals, connect those to our strategy and find a property in the city of your preference. Um, that we think will get you the best return. And then we'll help you set it up for co-living and then we'll, we'll handle it from there. So you pretty much bring the cash, you kind of talk to us, make sure we're aligned, and then we'll find a, a property that we think is perfect for you and that in kind of your situation and then set it up for co-living and then you'll start getting checked. So it's very close to turnkey. Um, we, we don't do heavy flips very often, but we do do them. But we're typically buying on the MLS um, with local agents that we have trained to find these properties specifically for us. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about some of those criteria that you've trained them on? Like how, what properties are they typically looking for? Sure. Um, so we're, you know, just like any rental where you're looking in the kind of like the cheapest quartile of the market, regardless of what area you're in, because, you know, there's not a much rent premium as you go up. Uh, but that's, it doesn't mean that we're not looking, we're generally looking at B-class neighborhoods. We really like B-class neighborhoods with some population density, let's say above a thousand per square mile, um, which is like a relatively dense suburb, I think, or denser than that. Uh, the other pieces that we're looking for is we want good parking. We're generally working very diff- or very focused on making sure that the co-living house fits in with the neighborhood and doesn't cause issues. So it has to have enough parking so we don't park in front of the neighbor's house. This is very important to us. Also looking for a number of shared showers and we steer away from HOA neighborhoods. We just, HOAs can be a little bit um, anti co-living. So we try mm-hmm. to stay away from them as much as we can. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So how, how long have you been doing this and how many houses are you currently managing right now? Yeah. So we have 50 today. We've been doing it for a bit over two and a half years. Sure. Okay. You're growing pretty aggressively then 50 houses like in, in that yeah, short of time. Yeah. We're, I mean, I think we've just, we're, we're just getting warmed up uh, to be honest. So we have a goal of trying to add 10 to 15 by the end of this year. That's that starts to get a little bit more aggressive or, but uh, for we we feel like we've worked out the kinks, right? We have a lot of happy tenants. We have a lot of happy investors. Sure. So just to remind everybody, head over to livehomeroom.com. I'll make sure to have those links in the show notes. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure you're also pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook, right? Um, yeah, very active on LinkedIn in terms of for the real estate investors. Facebook, we use to more focus on the our tenants and kind of the fun activities we do. Uh, but either one is, is a great way to reach us. Sure. 
So um, if somebody was interested in getting started in something like this in their backyard, what would what what do you know now you wished you would have known when you started? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think for me, and those are two separate questions uh, in, a, in a way, because we are working to become like the next Airbnb, but focused on co-living. And right. so for us, the big things I wish I would have known is that five houses is very easy, but when you get past 20, it starts to get really interesting, mm-hmm. um, especially with co-living, because now you have 120 residents, a lot of your systems and processes break. But for some, you know, for someone trying to do it in their backyard themselves, um, you know, I think the key is understanding the demographic that you're serving. And this is for all real estate and be hyper-focused on that. So if you're going to, there are some people that do co-living for uh, entrepreneurs. Some people do it for just 25-year-old young adult professionals. Some people do it for very low income. All of those are fine approaches. Just be focused on that. Um, we, we've we seen, I think, some of the biggest mistakes in the co-living space are that some of our competitors have focused on just too high end, but roommate housing is inherently a value budget proposition. So mm-hmm. I would say be value and budget focused. Don't spend 20000 like an Airbnb and setting up your house. Spend 3000 right? So you can make sure that it's affordable for you. Um, the roommates are going to appreciate having furniture, they're probably not going to appreciate that much having super nice furniture from, you know, West Elm or something like that. So just, just target your market and save money um, and don't overdo it. I think that's one of the big things we used to spend 15 grand per property to set it up. Now we spend four and everyone's just as happy as they were before. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's interesting. You bring up the value proposition. A lot of people that would be in a co-living scenario usually gets, you know, finds a buddy, gets an apartment together, you know, um, uh, why would they choose a co-living scenario such as yours versus doing that with a, just with a friend or somebody they know? I mean, when people re I mean, when people relocate location uh, cities, which, uh, millennials are the most kind of adaptable, um, transient generation we've had, they don't always know people in the new cities. And, you know, we have a number of people that live with us that actually have local friends, but they just, there's not always a buddy that's available. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, 20 million, you know, millions and millions of people are finding roommates through Craigslist all the time and why people are doing it on Facebook marketplace and why Roomster, the Roomster app exists is because there are thousands and tens, hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of people looking for roommates that they just don't have anyone in their social circle or anyone in their social circle that's actually looking right then. So that's why co-living is uh, booming, right? The uh, VCs and um, real estate developers put $3.2 billion into the space um, in 2019. So it's seen as this massive vertical. I think it's probably the fastest growing vertical in uh, real estate today. And it's because there's this massive cohort of people between 18 and 34 that are waiting to get married till the end of that period. And they don't really want to live alone. And... Mm -hmm. They don't have natural roommates to live with them or they can't find the right space. That's the cool thing about co-living. You get roommates and a space that's set up for roommates, right? If Even if you move into an apartment with your friend, like who's going to pay for the couch? And what if they move out? Does he take the couch? Like there's a lot of things that co-living solves that even with your friends that are roommates, which I've had, um, co-living is actually a really elegant solution even for those folks. 
You know, well, one one thing that I can think of, like you know, we talked about the amenities at at the beginning. Like, what would somebody get in a co living that they wouldn't traditionally that they would might have to to split the utility payments or something? Do you typically handle all of that? You know, like the the internet and and other things. Yeah, that, I mean that, and that's um, I think one of the the co living boom is actually I think people in my the elder millennials they live with roommates. Then they added other roommates from Craigslist and there's all these issues, right? How do you get furniture? And so we used to like borrow a friend's truck and then we'd all split it. And then one guy would move out and he'd ask for like 25 bucks for the couch that he paid for. Mm -hmm. um, and so we still make fun of my friend, Matt, actually, because he, he asked for that. Um, but then the other thing is utilities. <laughs> Utility bills come in two months later. So a guy moves out and he still has water from like two months before, you know, afterwards. And like, how do you track him down? So co-living takes care of all that stuff, right? The house is already furnished. It's already established. The utilities are a fixed price for everybody. And it doesn't change if the there's the rooms are vacant or anything. It's just guaranteed. It also comes with maid service. We found that when you live with roommates, mm -hmm. there's always like some roommates that want to be clean. And those are the ones, you know, in a, at home room we love. And then there's some that are just, you know, they're not in that headspace yet. So you have to, you have a maid come in and you, they do deep cleaning throughout the property once a month. It creates a it takes a lot of the tension away from roommate living, right? Um, the other thing is we do yard care, and so that person is making sure the gutters are clean. All and then we'll ship uh, HVAC filters to the house and make sure that it gets changed. So there's a it's a managed service approach to to living that's a bit more complete. And with roommates, they're so young they don't understand a lot of house care basics. Um, so it's a really nice thing to have for the landlord as well. You know, your HVAC filter is getting changed every quarter. Um, you know that your house is getting cleaned, you know, that we're in there once a month with a cleaning crew. So all these things really help both the tenants and the landlord, uh, regardless of if you have roommates that, you know, or don't know, we have both. So, mm -hmm. well, you know, you mentioned that, um, you can increase the rents by 70%, but based on what you're saying there. Um, there's a lot of expenses that you're taking on as well. That's probably consuming uh, a, a large chunk of those of that additional rent. Would would you say, or what? What no, can that, typically that, what would be like the cash on cash return for uh, for a single family home in this type of scenario? Yeah, I mean, we do it. We actually have an above and beyond amenities and utilities fee where tenants pay 140 month fixed for the utilities, the cleaning, everything. So that actually wouldn't play into the investor's equation at all. Okay. Um, so it so you're, you're, you're charging an increased rent and a maintenance fee on top of that. I see. Gotcha. Yep. Correct. Um, and so, you know, the cash on cash, um, it, or the raw cash on cash in this approach is, is pretty high. If you were to mm -hmm. do it yourself, it would be probably, you know, 15 to 20%. Um, uh, our homeroom takes a piece of that. And so we end up being between, you know, seven and 12 is typically. Mm -hmm. So, and that's because of the homeroom managed services and us recruiting tenants and all that. So, sure. but it, but the raw, but the amount of rent that's kicked off by this model, it can be comparable to a short-term rental, but just with a lot more stability, mm -hmm. um, which is very cool and a lot less, you know, pandemic risk in terms of income. So, so, how many people do you typically put put in one home? The average is five point five. Okay, 
Yeah. And do you typically have one room per person or will always. they even That's, always? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So you're dealing with some pretty large houses if you're dealing with five bedrooms. Yeah. The, um, the unit economics, it's hard to get a tenant to pay more for rent regardless of how many rooms are in a house. So people think about it in terms of their unit, which is their room. So someone's going to pay you four fifty for a room if there's two rooms or seven rooms. So we find mm-hmm. that the returns go up linearly with the number of bedrooms, which is why we generally are looking for bigger houses. Sure. And what's the bathroom ratio then? Is it? We, we, we think more about showers than bathrooms. Um, it's about three. We try to do three to one of shared showers per, per head. We'll go up to four to one, but we don't do five, five to one kind of crosses an imaginary line. And we've, we have a house with five to one in there. It's, it's an issue sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So if it, if it has a five, five bedrooms, it's likely has two showers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So outside of that, then, you know, I, I think it's really a good idea regarding the cleaning, you know, that, that is especially something that stands out because I can, I can imagine uh, it, it relieves a couple things. You as a landlord, as people are changing out um, to keep the place clean and manageable, um, but uh, relieving that pressure off the residents too. I, I can see how that could be appealing. Yeah. You, you just, there's there, the dynamics of a roommate house and we're not, we're far from perfect yet, but is that you have a couple people that clean a lot. They like cleaning. Then you have a couple people that are passable and then you maybe have one or two people that are just not very good at it. And so what will happen is the tension will build if you don't kind of relieve that with like proactive cleaning. Um, so how, so that, when you say a deep cleaning, does that, what does that include? Like, does that include washing the dishes and whatever's, whatever's outstanding? And is it like an all day thing? <laughs> an all day thing no we, we can't afford all day that would be that'd be nice i'm sure but um yeah it does they do do the dishes or anything like that but they do provide feedback on how not, how clean the house is and if the house is in complete disrepair then our made they actually have a made grade scorecard where they grade the residents and if it's too bad we actually say hey guys the house was in such bad state and you committed in your lease to keeping it clean that we're going to send out the maid again in two weeks. You're going to be paying $25 each to do that. Um, and so we kind of have like a standard for like, it has to be a minimum level of cleanliness. And sure. uh, you know, we want to charge more for people that are not honoring kind of their agreement with us there. Oh no, that's, that's a good idea. So it, when you said the maid service there, it's for a limited amount of time, what a couple hours or. Um, yeah. I, I think about three hours. They usually have a team of four though. Um, oh, so, okay. So it's a pretty, pretty amount, a decent amount of staff hours there. Sure. Okay. So, and then the residents know that that to expect these people to show up and start cleaning at on, on a specific day each month. Sure. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Okay. No, that's it. Yeah, I told you we'd get in little weeds on a couple of things as I as <laughs> I. And I think it's really interesting that you have the maid service, essentially grading the residents. Um, yeah, you have to, I mean, like a little bit inspired by Uber passenger rating and things like that, or you just want to have some sort of accountability there. I don't know if we've perfected that approach and like the buy-in and the communication and all that, but it's definitely an effective way to kind of have, a, you know, uh, 
we just don't have the situation where you have a tenant who moves out and so they have their hoarder house or you haven't been inside the property. All these things that can happen with properties, that investment properties can't happen at home room. We're just, no. we're in there too often. So. so you mentioned that the residents have a certain responsibility of, of a level of cleanliness regarding the, regarding the building. Is there anything else that is pushed on to the residents regard to their responsibility? Um, sure. We asked them to come to roommate interviews where that we do the video calls with the new roommates coming in. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. Uh, we asked them to do quarterly roommate check-ins where they talk to each other once a quarter and kind of work through challenges or have basically just say, Hey, can we not do this? And that, um, you know, one of the things that can build up is if you don't see your roommates a lot, there can be some tension there. And so you kind of want to relieve that and talk about, things that could make the house better. Um, and then we have kind of a, the move out process is fairly extensive. We wanted them to bring, put it back to it in the exact same condition they got it in. So definitely um, we see it as a partnership. It's definitely, it's affordable housing. Um, some rooms in, in Kansas City are $325, right? So uh, part of that is it's not, um, there's no valet. You know, we do, we do have really cool uh, customer service that'll respond via text 24 seven, which is awesome. And so it's a really nice service level for the price, but it still is something you have to contribute to. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, outside of everything we asked here today, um, like I said, we could probably spend a lot more time on a lot more. Um, but before I let you go, I wanted to make sure. And before I ask you my last question, I wanted to remind everybody to head over to your website, um, livehomeroom.com, L-I-V-E-H-O-M-E-R-O-O-M.com, and we'll make sure to have those links in the show notes. And uh, again, make sure you hit them up on all of the social networks. But um, one one last question is, uh, well, I'm going to give you two more questions. First of all, I find it interesting that uh, you focused on a couple markets, Kansas and Texas, but why did you focus on those markets? Because I know you come out of California or something, right? Sure. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm from the north. I'm from Northern California. Um, I moved to, to Austin in 2015 to invest in real estate. I'd invested out of state before that. Um, and, you know, San Francisco was just too expensive for me to invest in real estate. So I relocated to Austin. That's really where I started the concept of buying properties, renting them out by the room, setting them up with some uh, services. And so that's Austin was really our first market. That's our first home room. Moved to Kansas City because Austin properties don't cash flow at all. <laughs> so hmm. I wanted to balance that out. And I did some analysis on both markets and thought, honestly, Austin and Kansas City are my two favorites in the class that they're in, in terms of appreciation and then cash flow markets. I think Kansas City is my favorite cash flow market. In the United States, I think Austin is my favorite appreciation market. So those are really my two favorites. And that's why we started there. And then I really, I thought Dallas, the Metro was just exploding. Um, and I thought prices were starting to creep up and that affordability was becoming a challenge. And it's just a massive Metro and didn't have any co-living options. So that's where we pick for number three. And we're looking at num uh, three more markets coming up in the next six months or so. So. Going to give us a sneak peek. Uh, looking at Indy, we're looking at Phoenix, and we're trying to decide between Chicago and Denver right now. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and then the last question is: Is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? 
Um, sure. I think um, the, you know, I think when people are looking at a real estate investment option, you know, we have multifamily, we have single family, we have short-term rentals and single family. Um, why is co-living, why do I think co-living is going to emerge as an asset class in and of itself over the near, in the near future? I think similar to short-term rentals, it allows you to buy better properties in nicer areas. So with residential real estate, you can get really awesome appreciation bumps without really doing anything. You know, it's not based on that operating mm-hmm. income. Very cool. Um, but then you don't have the you don't have the volatility or the level of effort that come with short-term rentals. So homeroom is essentially creating a new residential real estate investment asset class. Um, you know, co-living single family properties. And we think that those will be sold and bought just like short-term rental properties are today, um, at a higher cap rate than standard single family rentals. Um, with that appreciation potential that you can only get in the residential space. So we're really excited about the asset class. Uh, we think, you know, it'll be something that it's always been like a really niche product for people that like rent, you know, like student housing and things like that. But I think the co-living platforms that are coming out are going to create some really cool investment opportunities for both small and bigger investors. So, well, I can't thank you enough. This has been a great conversation. And uh, if uh, again, head over to livehomeroom.com to check out the platform and see if uh, you wanted to connect with Johnny and and uh, jump into this. This sounds, like you said, uh, definitely the future when it comes to some of the some of these spaces. I, I can definitely hear and see where the where the trends are, and I think this is one of them. I think you do have a great niche. Um, again, I really appreciate your time. I hope we can chat again. Yeah, Jack, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time and tell a friend.